the show. Joining me is vlogger Critical Condition, who covers nationalism and the truly feminine perspective. We'll talk about Meghan Markle, women being highly overrepresented on campuses, including a female professor openly advocating for violence against rightists. But we'll also get into the ridiculous straw man argument thrown at nationalists regarding the ethno state. Later, Cece will also say where she thinks Jordan Peterson is heading. She was once a fan, and now his ratings are tanking. So stick around. Critical Condition, also known as Cece, we'll call you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, you've been on my radar for a bit. You do a lot of uh, excellent videos, so I'm glad that I can finally get you on here. I know you've been busy making the rounds. Everyone's always excited when someone new pops up, right? True. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So a little warning for everyone, I did wake up sick, so if I start hacking uncontrollably, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but I didn't want to miss this interview. So so you're Canadian, right? You're from Newfoundland originally? That's right. Yeah, I'm from yes. Newfoundland. No, I haven't, I haven't lived there uh, for almost 10 years now, but I am technically a Canadian. Oh, wow. I know Newfoundland's pretty isolated. Have you visited there in a, long, in a while, or when's the last time you were there? Uh, I was back there for Christmas. Uh, I, I had a long, a long period where I was sort of traveling, doing the the millennial world traveler type, uh, the type thing, and um, I had a long stretch not visiting home, and it was really rough. So now I make a point of going home at least once a year for Christmas. So yeah. Now, do you know anything about the uh, Vikings that were up in that area by any chance? Uh, so I do, I do in Lansa Meadows. Um, it's, it's a really old Viking settlement. Um, and it's a huge tourist, uh, tourist attraction, but I'm actually from a completely different part of the island. So it's not, it's not something that I've, I've only been there once and I was really, really young. So I can't really remember it that well, but mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's, it's one of the prides of, of our, of our province. That's for sure. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Well, I know <laughs> an exciting news. You just got engaged, right? So you're getting married. Tell us about that. Um, well, I mean, it's not much to tell. I suppose I, I've fallen in love with a Slovenian man and we want to start our family as soon as possible. So, uh, hopefully within the next, you know, three to four months, we'll, we'll be, um, getting married and starting moving towards family life. I'm really excited about it. Well, congrats. Yeah. There's, it seems like a lot of the girls in, in our scene have just over the last two years, just bang, everyone's gotten married and they're starting to have babies. So that's that's really exciting. I just wish everyone lived closer so they can all hang out with their babies and stuff. It makes it more fun when you have that, honestly, you know, something in common. Yeah. So tell us about Sylvania. That's a place that I have actually always wanted to go. I know it's beautiful. They have medieval architecture, uh, nature. It just is so gorgeous. Tell us about it. Uh, Slovenia is a really tiny country. Um, I actually didn't even really know anything about it until I, I met my fiance, but um, it's one of the most beautiful countries that I think I've ever been to. Uh, there, there's a strong uh, agricultural part of the uh, the country. They grow a lot of things there. It's kind of, the country's kind of fortified by a huge mountain range, which is really, really beautiful. Hiking and sort of being out in nature is a huge part of Slovenian culture. It's, uh, in terms of the demographics, it's an extremely uh, homogenous uh, group of people there. You know, there, there are, isn't a lot of people from elsewhere. Everyone has a really strong sense of collective identity. And I mean, as you can see, it's just pristine. You're, that's Lake yeah, Bled. Yeah, gorgeous. That's one of my favorite places in the whole country. It's, yeah, just stunning. Now, are they fairly traditional there or what is the politics like? Uh, so it's... 
it is a traditionally a Catholic country, and there there are tons of churches, you know, that are active uh, throughout the country, wherever you go, in the rural areas and in the urban centers. Um, but you know, like all countries, modernity has had its um, its sort of influence, and uh, there is a strong uh, like liberal communist mm. um, party there, which is quite powerful um the country the country even though it's you know ethnically homogenous politically the country is very divided between um, nationalists and communists something that we can kind of almost see happening in many other western countries now it's always interesting too that i see that that happens i'm originally from the northwest you know portland and seattle and it seems like the nicest whitest areas always end up having this strong communist presence because they don't realize how good they have it and they're always advocating for some system that's completely going to destroy them and they have no idea about it i mean canada is probably that way too the white some of the whitest areas are, are probably a lot of commies up there now i know there's a lot of uh, pioneering spirits still up there though however yes that's very true yeah so speaking of babies and all that, I mean, this is kind of big news I wanted to get into. Well, I'm not big news to me, but everyone seems to care about Meghan Markle. And she just had a royal, a royal baby that was born. So what do you think about all this? Um, well, I think, I mean, in general, the concept of monarchy is kind of interesting to me. Um, I, I think monarchy can be really good for a society, but I think the the, the the development of the the monarchy in the UK hasn't really been much to write home about for a really long time. And with regard specifically to Harry, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I don't even think he's a real royal. I think that he's probably the product of one of Diana's affairs. And so I think that this is just my personal theory, but I think that the reason why Harry has been let to, you know, marry an Amer a C-list American um, lady who's not British in any way, shape, or form, um, is because he's not—he's not really. He doesn't really have royal blood. Yeah, I, yeah. I—that's an interesting theory. I've—I've I've heard that I before. Yeah. kind of. She's, she's from, she's from LA, so she knows how to pander to the sort of positivity movement and the feminists, and so she's kind of she's good press. You know, so I, I think it's really just it's just sort of, you know, a propaganda thing. Of course. I mean, it's completely set up. I mean, he had so many gorgeous women before, gorgeous European girlfriends. And then he goes for this. I mean, let's face it. She's a little skanky. You know, I mean, she's done these yeah. skanky roles. Yeah. She's a bad actress. I mean, there's just nothing there. I just don't even understand it. I mean, it, it's fully propaganda at this point. I mean, it is. Yeah. And now right. everyone's saying, well, she's breaking all the rules. You know, during the pregnancy, she was flying, gallivanting around the world, still very pregnant. Now they're not showing the baby, uh, which everyone's yeah. like, there's conspiracy theories flying around there. If, if she even carried it or if a surrogate actually is carrying it for her. And yes. now uh, she wants to raise the baby gender neutral. But yeah, she did have the at-home birth and they haven't shown the baby yet. So now lots of rumors are flying. What do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's all just a bit spectacle, isn't it? I mean, less and less I care about what's going on with the royal family. The, the more they pander, the less I care. And it's a sad thing because I think, um, 
you know, breaking all of the rules is kind of supposed to be the opposite of what a royal family are supposed yeah, to be doing. Exactly. Be maintaining the traditions. They're supposed to be, you know, leading by example and, um, you know, giving some sort of consistency with national identity for the people. And that's the exact opposite of what you see with Meghan. <laughs> yeah. And I could care less about the royals. They clearly don't care about European people. They clearly don't care about mass immigration. Then you have Megal and Meghan talking about how universities in England are too pale and male and stale and need to be decolonized. I mean, it's just outrageous that they even put up with this. So really, I could care less about them, too. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but uh, speaking of, you know, people being thrilled to have a black royal, I also saw in other news there was a historic beauty pageant where Miss USA, Miss Teen USA and Miss America beauty winners were all black. <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh, Contrived? I think it's like, I mean, it's it's a pretty big coincidence and I don't really believe in coincidences is kind of my, my perspective on this. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm just happy they're women. Like, I'm just happy they're, <laughs> that they're actually still women. Um, and I don't know, it's this, I, I sort of have this feeling with all of these kind of uh, mainstream uh, TV events, the same with the Met Gala, you know, it's all so paused. It's, it's all about the diversity. It's all about the strong feminism um, rhetoric. And I just, I, I kind of tune it out, you know, because if, if I were to let myself get worked up about every little propaganda thing that happened on TV, I think I would just be in a constant state of neurosis. <laughs> but it is interesting. It is interesting to follow what's happening in the culture and how they're trying to twist things. Obviously, they're just constantly promoting non-whites and beauty pageants, even in, I mean, I could care less about beauty pageants too, but it's about what it represents. You see this happening in European countries now too, where Miss Scotland or Miss Sweden or Miss whoever is anyone but a European woman. It's it's like it, it's a racist, wrong and bad thing to see European women as some kind of a beauty ideal. So now every time it's only correct when it's a, a non-white woman who wins. And of course, now they're talking about how this was historic because black women couldn't take they couldn't compete before. So now I think that we're just going to see this constantly all the time. And what I think is really interesting is that several of these are clearly mixed race. So they're not even really quite embracing the like full on africana thing you know yes yeah it's, <laughs> it's it's never ending if it's if it's not the beauty pageants it's what's you know new on netflix or you know a retelling of a historical uh story with you know completely diverse cast it's it's this is the status quo now yeah, it's like if someone's pretty, okay, they're prettier. If they truly won, they won. But at this point, we know that it's just all propaganda and pushing things to try and change the beauty ideals in the West. It is wrong for us as uh, European women to see European women as some kind of a beauty ideal to strive for that, or even for men or other people to see Europeans as some kind of a beauty ideal. Now, do you think a beauty ideal exists? Of course, yeah. I think objective beauty absolutely exists. I think that... Um... I think that you could find people of any race, really, who would be considered technically objectively beautiful. But I think that there's been a lot of work done to sort of dismantle um, what we what we are allowed to call beautiful. Um, and I think feminism has a lot to do with that. You see that with the body the body positivity movement, where we have to glorify obesity and it just you know, uh, it, it's it really it really is I think um, kind of a collective psychosis in women where they they don't want to try they don't they don't 
want to have standards for themselves. And so they make excuses and uh, attack women who, who do, you know, have standards for themselves. But I mean, objective beauty, it's hard. It's a hard thing to pinpoint. It's a hard thing to put your finger on, but it's its the kind of thing you know it when you see it. Yeah, exactly. You know it when you see it. And there really is a, a golden ratio. I mean, there is a science behind it. I mean, how much space between the eyes. I mean, the yeah. different body types. I mean, there there really is. And no matter how hard that they try to promote, uh, you know, a 300-pound woman is some kind of a new beauty ideal, it's just never, ever going to stick. And I just, I find it comical that they keep trying to do this, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, everyone has to be a model, you know, in order to, to feel beautiful or to, um, you know, have a beautiful, um, sort of aura about them. I think majority of what it means to be beautiful is, is just to, uh, you know, not be fat, take care of yourself and to dress well, dress, dress in a way that's flattering. Uh, long hair, I think, or, you know, just like not having a buzz cut, which is something that's become <laughs> more and more common these days. Um, yeah, you have to, it, you have to, do. you have to work it with what you have, you know? Yes, and, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. By the way, I recently chopped off my hair. <laughs> it looks bad. Well, you know, I think sometimes, I think with hair, you have to refresh it. Sometimes you need to just oh, yeah. cut it off and just let it grow again, so. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a matter of what works for you, how you look, how, how you carry yourself. Absolutely, all those things are important. You don't have to be a, a supermodel or some kind of goddess or something, but it's uh, the way that you carry yourself, absolutely. And I think that a lot of feminists, they don't carry themselves very well. Uh, speaking of that, I saw this woman, who she's a, a female professor and she is very large she was advocating for violence against rightists and i want to play this video for you guys because this just came on my radar a couple days ago this is outrageous this is at a university this woman is a professor let's listen to it only to fucking throw grenades into it i don't give a fuck. i'm inspired by several things usually my hatred for the man a person hones their writer's voice is by telling people to shut the fuck up when they annoy them. Um, you know, call them out for their inappropriate and spilling out masculinity. Um, make fun of them in public around. Sorry, guys. Your kids masturbate. University uproar. A popular UCLA professor out in Los Angeles now filing a formal complaint, a grievance with his union after he claims he was fired because he's conservative and has conservative views. Students protested back in May, saying that they were being blocked from enrolling in Keith Fink's class on free speech before he was let go. Just this year, there was a new chairperson who is a liberal uh, ideologue with great disdain for conservative views. She came in and the first day uh, after my first class, she immediately slashed my class enrollment. I fought for the students and it all went downhill from there. I mean, I would say downhill. I think it was preordained from the day that she came in that the school was uh, intent on getting rid of me. Gerard was unapologetic about her comments. All right, please back away, she is everyone. The, she is the example of the double standard. Yeah, it's interesting. There really is a, a witch hunt of conservatives. Of course there is. And this is one of the problems I think conservatives were too lenient when they let in a lot of these cultural Marxists to begin with, right? They were the ones who actually were uh, open to tolerance and diversity. And look at what it, look at what it got them. Now it's a witch chant all these uh, conservatives are being fired you have this woman i mean it's comedy at first i thought it was a joke when i heard her she's literally talking about 
throwing grenades into meetings where right wingers are. I mean, this is a woman here advocating for this. I know it's it's very uh, unsettling and it's cliche to point out the double standard, but, you know, it would be unimaginable to to think of someone, a man or a conservative person of any description, making similar cla claims and, and getting away with it. Um, and when I see women like this, I just get this sense that they're miserable, that they're really they're miserable people. They were probably bullied when they were growing up. You know, Chad never picked her. And so this is her way of taking revenge. Um, it's, it's sad and it's, it's really, really frightening to know that this is, this is, you know, who we are sending our children to be educated by and in post-secondary education, it's an absolute joke. Yeah. And people always have this idea that, oh, women are, they're not as violent. They would end war. They're more peaceful. And I think that that's just complete BS. I mean, some of these, these kinds of women are some of the most violent, rabid people there are. What do you think about that idea that women are less violent? Um, I think on average, in terms of physical violence, women do tend to be less violent. And I think that that's um, that's kind of a testosterone. That's like a hormone, hormonal thing. But um, I mean, women, women of all description can be extremely psychologically violent, and I think any woman, you, you, you included, would would probably be well aware of this. Especially when you're growing up, we all have memories of, you know, the way that girls can be quite cruel to one another. Oh, yeah. I think. The, ad, the advocacy for um, actual violence and the making excuses for actual violence and the, the possibility of you know, being violent is far more common among these sort of feminist types. And, um, you know, I, I would even be willing to speculate about whether or not there are hormonal um, things going on there. You know? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I think, too, a lot of these women, they've embraced more of their male brain side. A lot of the women who they they crave these power positions where, you know, they want to be educators or they want to be political leaders. They tend to be more masculine type of women. And those women, like a Hillary Clinton, they're utter warmongers. You come across them and like this woman, no problems. I always laugh when a lot of these feminists say if we were in charge, it would be world it would be world peace and all wars would end. And I I'd say no, exactly like how you said earlier, women can be incredibly awful to each other and they really hold grudges and they can be manipulative and they can be controlling. And they, I mean, it, that would just be a nightmare, I think. I completely agree with you. <laughs> Jeez. Now, what do you think about women being highly overrepresented in universities? Because there's some campuses now that it's 80% women. That's crazy. I think I think it's a terrible thing, to be honest. I think that women have been um, sold a lie that the the best use of their early twenties is to be, um, you know, getting getting an education, which is probably not going to give them any job skills. It's going to be like, uh, you know, a ball and chain around their ankle in terms of the debt that they will um, have coming out of it. And um, you know that. If, if they are lucky enough to get out of university and have job skills, I mean, what do they have to look forward to? The next um, five to 10, 15 years competing with men in corporate competitive environments, uh, wasting all of their best childbearing years, um, you know, doing things which, you know, they, you might get external validation for, for doing these things and being successful in these things. You might get some go, you go girl props, but are these, are these the things which actually bring women happiness and fulfillment. Uh, I, I really don't think so. I think, sure, there, there may be some. I don't think we should clip 
women's wings. If there's a woman out there who's amazing at STEM and she has no maternal instincts, sure, go for it, knock yourself out. But I think to, to think that, you know, that's not a very small portion of uh, the female population is very naive. Yeah. And also what happens is you get these young girls who go into school, maybe they're more conservative, maybe they had dreams of having kids, then they go through these brainwashing institutions, and then all that goes out the window. And then it's like, oh, female empowerment, I want to get this job, I want to do this. And then what ends up happening is they just get strapped with school loans in America now, tons of school loans, they get some useless degree, they can't get the job, or they're going to go slave at some crappy job. And then maybe and then maybe they'll have some kids and on top of it, they're like working and trying to take care of these kids there's nothing wrong with and i did a video about this for what women in their 20s should know that i wish someone told me some of those things in their 20s um that it's okay to want to just find a guy and get married it's okay to have to want to find a guy who's going to take care of you and to start a family and now saying that you looked you get looked at like you're just some backwards person right yeah i mean i would even go so far as to say it's not just okay it should be a priority if, if, you, if you have any inkling in your heart that you may someday want to start a family and be a mother, you should prioritize finding a good man um, over your career. I don't, it's not that I don't think women should be educated. I think that women can pursue education in a variety of different ways. Right. You know, there are a lot of resources online uh, that women can use to educate themselves. And I think, you know, the, the four to five year post-secondary degree, I think a lot of that could be done in two years. You know, I think they drag it out so that they can kind of rinse you of money as much as possible. And there's also no reason why women can't, you know, after their children have flown the coop, go, go, go to college for a year, get a trade. Like no one, no one is stopping women from you know, had their healthy babies and had their family life. Um, it's just it's just that you never hear about this option. It's the kind of the great the great sort of irony of feminism is that it's supposed to be about empowerment. It's supposed to be about giving you options. And for some reason, um, women's fertility and what um, based on everything I've ever heard from the older generation have ever told me, um, motherhood, which is a rite of passage, it's one of the most meaningful things a woman can do is often either demonized uh, or you know completely neglected. Yeah, you brought up a good point, too, and I say this all the time, too. Just because you're deciding maybe you're in your 20s and you want to have a family doesn't mean that you're just going to be some dumb idiot who doesn't know things, who can't read a book, who can't learn. Actually, a lot of the housewives that I know are some of the most intelligent women there are. You know, they're, they're still reading. They're still consuming information. Uh, there's Some of them are making videos. Very intelligent women. They're not just home baking cookies all day, not, you know, clueless about things that are happening in the world. I think that that's just a, a completely wrong stereotype altogether. Yeah. And, and it's true. When your kids, there's different seasons in your life that you can do different things. So when your kids are a certain age, then you can pursue those other things. You know, it's not like, oh, my life is over. I can't have any intellectual pursuits whatsoever. Or if I have some talents, I can't pursue those talents because I had a couple of kids and my life is over. That's that's a complete lie, too. So how would you, I know kind of late in the game in this interview, but I, I think I have an idea about this, but how would you be best describe yourself politically? Uh, I think the easiest way for me to describe my politics is that I'm a nationalist. Um, I, I like to kind of joke a little bit and I, I say that I'm a Dalai Lama nationalist. Nice. They have to go back. I, yes. Well, yes, exactly. I think the Dalai Lama made um, some, some extremely... Um, beautiful points regarding the validity of nationalism and not just that, that it is the more compassionate 
perspective to have, not just for the people who are, you know, the host of um, immigrants or refugees, but for the refugees and immigrants themselves. They should um, acknowledge the fact that, you know, um, migrating to a, a different country just for the economic benefits isn't actually a life worth living. They would be much better off um, in their home countries, um, rebuilding and fulfilling, you know, their their own sense of identity within their culture of origin. That that's my position. So yeah, nationalist. Now, would you call yourself a conservative? Too not really. Like I I kind of prefer right wing to conservative. I think conservative. I mean, like the kind of conservative of my parents is not really that. Uh, different from, you know, liberals, if we're talking about America and and Canada, there there isn't enough of a distinction between their policies to, to really see them as anything other than like team sports. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What is your biggest uh, gripe, your biggest criticism of modern conservatism? Because I know conservatism, because I know there is a lot of young kids who are on the right who grew up with conservative parents, but they're rejecting that they want something a little more firm. Yes. Um, I think my main criticism is that they don't actually conserve anything. Um, they're, they, from, from all of my interaction with um, conservatism, you know, with public figures and even, you know, kind of older people, boomers and um, even the young folks, I guess, they're all, a lot of them are just socially liberal and their conservatism only extends to this kind of like worship of the free market um, and making excuses for intervention, you know, wars and stuff like that overseas. And like, this is just really not something that I, I would ever be um, advocating for. I'm, I'm socially, or I'm sorry, I'm I'm socially conservative and I don't believe that we should be intervening in other countries unless there's going to be a direct positive um, repercussion for, you know, our country and our people. Yep. Boomer conservatives. It's all about money, 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 uh, foreign wars, though, and then uh, basically free markets to the point where all their own people can be censored and silenced everywhere. And they still do nothing because they just sit around and say, I'm a free market. (laughs) This is literally shooting themselves in the foot. Like there will be no party without European Americans. There will be no right wing party without European Americans. And they are so blind to that. You made a video a while back about how I think this is one of your older ones about how you lost a lot of friends, how you went through the little journey of going to college and oh, lib- liberal arts, right? Everyone goes through that. They think they see the light from their Marxist professor or something. If they grew up in a conservative household, it's really quite funny seeing that. And then they end up coming back around to a lot of their rightist values, which you did. But you lost a lot of friends. You did a video about that in that process so how is it now with friends um right now i have the pleasure of um you know meeting a lot of uh, right-wing women who are more like me um and you know, building new connections with women um, that's something that i'm currently working on um, sort of behind the scenes and on my channel right now is trying to build a network of right-wing women because i mean I think that there will always be um, a kind of hurt in my heart with regard to losing those friendships, because even though we uh, disagree in terms of our politics, it never would have been my choice to, um, you know, you know, ghost a friend just because we disagree. You know, I, I never I wasn't friends with these people because of their politics. I was friends with them because I, I, I liked them. And I thought they were they were good people. Mm-hmm. But 
um, that wasn't reciprocated. I my my politics, which you know, I've never advocated for violence. Um, I've I've never I've never um, done anything. I think that would warrant you know wanting to like disavow or this kind of stuff. But they 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 felt that they could no longer associate with me as a result of me speaking openly about my political view. So I've had to sort of say goodbye and I've had to let go and um, acknowledge that this is something that, you know, whether politics are involved or not, we all kind of experience at some point in our life. We, we, we outgrow friends sometimes. And though it's painful, I think the group of women that I have around me now um, are much more in align with my beliefs and they're much more uh, similar to me. They're, they're on a, a, a more similar trajectory in their life. And I, I receive a lot of support from them. So I'm, I'm saddened that, you know, it's happened, but I'm also very grateful for the, the right wing women that I, I now have around me. Oh, they're the best women ever. You know, I, yeah. I was always a woman who had a lot of uh, like a blonde in the belly, like several other girls, always had a lot of guy friends because women just had some issues. And I find there's a lot of other girls in the scene who kind of <laughs> kind of share a similar yeah. story. But coming, you know, doing the show and stuff, I've met some incredible women, my some of my best friends I've met from the show, really solid, solid women. And, and uh, I mean, no regrets there at all. Like I, I have such a strong uh, support system of, of good friends and stuff. And I find it interesting that it's more people like us on our side who are willing to talk to liberals and still remain friends with people. But it's actually on their side. Their liberals are the ones who are like, oh, my God, I can't be friends with you. You, you think this and you think that and you can't be. I mean, I've experienced that. I have a couple. I have, believe it or not, still a couple girlfriends from that I've known like from 20 years ago who are liberals, who are still my friend. <laughs> but other than that, like everyone else just ran away like cockroaches. I mean, people you know, you've known that you've grown up with. It's amazing. It tells you uh, it's 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 brainwashing. It's like a cult when people walk away from friends and from family to support this political ideology. It really is. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's also why I don't hold a grudge against them. I don't have any resentment in my heart. Uh, towards these people i hope someday that maybe we can we can find a way to reconnect and um that would be lovely but i understand that in in order for uh them to acknowledge any of my positions as you know having some kind of justification they would have to uh, effectively deny their identity deny their worldview deny you know pretty much everything they've been believing and that their parents have been believing for you know the past 50 years. So it's, it's too much to ask. And um, maybe, maybe under different circumstances, we will be able to rekindle that friendship. But for now, as you said, it's for the best. And I don't have any regrets. And sometimes people do come back around, you know, since I've been doing this, there's a lot of people that uh, I used to know, uh, from outside red ice that I didn't know were listening, <laughs> we're kind of following along. And then they'll, they'll come, you know, two years later, three years later and say, wow, you were right. I've changed my mind. I, you, I thank you for showing me this. So I don't quite give up on everybody, you know, people in your life, because there are some people who do come around, even family and stuff. So that's always yes. good to keep that in mind. Now, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about... <laughs> Your take on the, I know there's a little bit of a debate on this, but the ethnostate. Now, this is something that drives me nuts. There there are some people who talk about how, uh, like, you know, Richard Spencer has mentioned the ethnostate a lot. And 
people don't realize that ethnostates already exist all around the world, you know, Slovenia, Sweden, Japan, like those are ethnostates. They don't need to call them ethnostates, but they're ethnically homogenous nations. And it's tribes that inhabit that geographical space that make up a nation. But it just seems like people in the colonies, you know, Canada, America, all that, those too were once ethnostates. But people think it's like this... Uh, this other idea that that's a, it's a new idea, but it is something that is old. Now, there, I heard you speaking with, I think it was Orwell and Good. I happened to catch that. I was doing a little painting and yeah. I put that on before, <laughs> before uh, meeting you today. But I know that you were saying that you didn't think that in an ethno state that uh, things would just magically become perfect, right? And there's people who... Yeah. And there are people who think that, who don't support us, who think that just because we support an ethnostate that we're thinking that it's just going to fix all the problems. And I don't think that that's, that's the case at all. But my take on that is that it will fix a lot of problems. It will fix a lot of problems. And at least the problems that we have will be fighting with our own people as opposed to our own people and then hordes of all these other outsiders coming in on top of it. What do you think? Oh yeah, there's 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 no denying that. That that's absolutely true. And um, you know, being from Newfoundland, I have the benefit of of knowing um how peaceful and beautiful um and wholesome living in an ethno state can be. That's essentially what Newfoundland is. I think even still today, the uh, number of visible minorities in my my home province is under 10%. And most of those people are in the city, you know, and I I grew up um, in a, in a coastal village. So, um, that, that is true. I, I, I don't think that, um, that I could find any, anything wrong with, you know, advocating for, um, you know, homogenous, homogenous communities. I think that, um, it, it breeds a kind of social trust. Um, there, there tends to be a, a more sort of kind of feeling of ease in these communities. There's less crime. Um, all those things are great, but I think also from my experience, um, being from you know an ethno state, uh, I, I witnessed a lot of problems in um, my in my province growing up. And um, my point when mentioning that on Orwell and Good's stream was that um, yes, you know, ha having homogenous societies is is a is a total perfectly reasonable thing to to want and to advocate for, but. Um, there needs to be emphasis on other aspects of um, society if you, if you want to have it long-term, workable, and consistent. Um, and I think, I think a part of that is, you know, religion and, and God. Yeah, definitely. There has to be other aspects. And I think it's interesting that the, the people that are advocates of keeping, keeping these ethnic nations also are more traditional and understand that there's many, many layers to it. It's not just about, like a lot of outsiders see us and they just think that we're saying, mo race. If it's just a bunch of white people, then it's just gonna be mo race and it's all gonna be great. No, we know that there's layers and layers of the problem. Yeah. I think that they're just, they don't know what we're talking about. They haven't actually heard what we're talking about and how deep that this actually goes and what a deep number has been done on us psychologically as a people. But I think uh, a good state, uh, a good first step would be to protect the, the nation, protect the state. So that from there, we can actually deal with some of those other problems that, you know, having some borders and then we can get into some of the other layers of the other problems. But yeah, there's a lot of people and I'm not saying you're like that, but uh, a lot of outsiders who think that we think that if it's just all 
white people, yeah. there's not going to be any any problems. Now, it's true that some, yeah. some of the most homogenous European nations in the world do happen to be the most peaceful. But yes, like Slovenia, there's communists and there's nationalists. And that's always going to be something that we're going to deal with. But at least we're dealing with our own people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And that, that's that. I mean, the, the perception from the outside that, you know, people who are in the right wing are like obsessed with race and they're obsessed with the ethno state. And we're going to start, you know, rounding up people who aren't the same race as us and, you know, shipping them off somewhere or putting them in camps. I think like that's obviously a hyperbolic interpretation of um, w what people are talking about in the right wing. Um, but I do think that it's worth pointing out that there does seem to be like a lot of emphasis on it to the point where other really important things do sometimes get left by the wayside. And I just really, I really hope to be able to add to um, the conversation in saying, yes, you know, we can, we can watch strong borders. Um, we can maybe even end immigration for a um, these very drastic changes that are happening in our society so that we can um, take a look at the people who we have in our nations and how we can lift those people up. Because, I mean, right now in, in Newfoundland, there is a ton of alcoholism. There's, um, you know, op the opioid crisis in Newfoundland is absolutely out of control. Suicides are on the rise. Um, people don't have work because the federal government has shut down the fisheries. So people's ability to be self-reliant um, and live, you know, meaningful lives with their families, you know, off of, you know, state dependence has been completely eradicated. And all of these things have con contributed, um, not the least of all, also, you know, there's a lot of liberal uh, propaganda in our school system. So that sort of dismantled the, the church's sort of authority in my province. All of these things have contributed to this kind of despair um, among people in Newfoundland, and not all, but you know, it's something that is prevalent there. And I think, um, you know, the fact that we have a homogenous, uh, a homogenous community is, you know, it's a godsend because with all of those things, if we if we were living in, if we were living in um, a place that was, you know, intensely multicultural with all of these problems um, mixed in, there the crime would be out of control. You know, it would be absolute chaos. So the fact that we have that is, you know, it's. It's the only thing that's really making Newfoundland livable at this point. Yeah, exactly. Because then at least it's your your people. At least there's somewhat a, a level of peace or you have some kind of shared culture and history and ancestry. So you can still kind of get through to each other. But I think exactly. it, would be, it would be much harder to kind of weed through some of those problems when you have other outside antagonistic groups trying to fight for their will and what they want and attacking you and stuff. But yeah, ultimately, it is a straw man argument that people throw at us that we just think that, oh, if it's just my race, ethno state, everything's going to just magically disappear. Or if you throw out these people or these people, all the problems are just going to go away. And that that's... Yes. That, that they're just saying that to make us look like fools and that's not going to work. That's not what we're actually saying here. We know that the problems are multi-tiered. I mean, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And that's what people like us are out there talking about. It's not just as simple as as skin color. And that's what I hate too when people, and I did a video about this, where people think that Europeans, they just say, you know, Swedes who want to be Swedish, oh, they're just white nationalists. They're just boiling yeah. it down to this this base level no there's swedish nationalists there's german nationalists there's slovenian nationalists. i don't want just a generic boiled down white you know i do no, want to keep the, these ethnic differences because that's true diversity you know absolutely and i think you know the fact that i grew up in newfoundland was kind of the first thing which made me um sort of open to nationalism there's a strong separatist movement 
um, in Newfoundland that would be similar to um, in what what was in Quebec. You know, not as strong, not as organized, unfortunately. But there is a sentiment among Newfoundlanders that we would be better if we had our sovereignty, and that if um, the federal government wasn't sort of robbing the people of our natural resources and of the wealth in our province, that we would be much better off on our own. And what you see the federal government doing now is um, trying to create incentives for immigrants to go to these more remote places in Newfoundland because, you know, our, you know, the population doesn't want to work. Everyone's on the dole. People are, you know, there's alcoholism. So instead of actually looking at the problems of, you know, the people of Newfoundland and trying to help them, the federal government is trying to put a Band-Aid on the situation and say, make these sort of economic arguments about, you know, bringing immigrants in to keep the economy going. And I mean, I think this is waking up a lot of people. I think it's also just an excuse because they're doing this in Maine, too. And don't forget Obama in America. He had they were literally looking at hood. They were looking at racist zip codes, areas that were too white. And that's where they were importing in refugees, migrants, building Section 8 housing. They're doing that in places like Idaho. Well, I traveled through there last summer, several places. I saw it myself. There's mosques being built. So they really want to make it so there is no place where white people can't escape from it. And that that really freaks me out, actually, thinking about that in some of these remote places. But what needs to happen is these Newfoundlanders need to not support that local kebab shop or that pizzeria or whatever that these people are bringing in so that hopefully they just go away. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation. I, I, I hope that the people of Newfoundland can find a way to, um, you know, keep keep their their because Newfoundland has a, a strong tradition of, of being Christian as well. I hope that there's a way that we can sort of try and invigorate the churches again. Um, I heard a story not that long ago about one of the, the big churches in downtown St. John's being turned into a mosque. This is something that really, uh, really, really bothers me. And it's kind of like this. Um, sort of symbolic event, you know, when a, when an old church gets turned into a mosque of yeah. the kind of cultural invasion that we're dealing yeah. with. Um, and so I, I think that, um, you know, a acknowledgement of ethnicity and of distinctness and of, um, you know, in-group preference and wanting to be amongst people who are like you and share your values is absolutely essential. But I think that if we don't, if we don't have the kind of um, passion that, you know, the you know, Muslims have, you know, for our own religion and for our own tradition and for for what we believe to be true in our own our own social moral order. I don't think that we're going to really have a chance uh, just just sort of making political arguments. I think that we need to appeal to people's spirits um, to try and, you know, get this movement going. Yeah, I think spirituality is a huge aspect. And I know someone asked us a question about this flashback Friday the other day. And I think that the old Christianity is very different than some of the newer versions that are floating around that are very pro open borders and we're all God's people. So we shouldn't have nations, even though God did create, if you're believing the Bible, did create these different nations and languages and different races for a reason. And I think that that should be respected. But definitely, I think uh, some kind of spirituality is important. I I like a lot of the older, uh, you know, native European religions uh, but I think yes. that that is important to have that aspect of course otherwise it just turns into kind of just soulless uh, atheism but there is yeah. some some pro-European pro-white atheists what do you think about that 
I didn't know those people existed. Yeah, there, there is. That's that's the thing. You know, the the white mind is very diverse when it comes to spirituality. I would say the most. You know, you, usually you know yeah. when you go to a certain part in the world, Asia. You know, who's going to be Buddhist or you know who's going to be Hindu? You know, who's going to be Muslim? Uh, yeah. Christians tend to be more European people. But um, yeah, we actually have an interesting diverse group in our scene in the nationalist scene. Not everyone. Uh, believes in God, not maybe not everyone's a pagan, but there are some people who are who are atheists, and somehow they're not soulless that way. Well, that's that's I think that's absolutely fine, really. And I mean, to be totally honest, when I went through my liberal phase, I um, I explored Buddhism for a long time and Taoist philosophy, and even um, some parts of Hinduism through yoga traditions, and those things inform some of my, um, some of my, my sort of religious practices. Um, and it informs the way that I pray, you know, I mean, I identify as a Christian. That's, th those are my traditions. My, my grandfather was a lay minister. So like, I'm going to carry on those traditions that are part of my family. But, um, it's, it, it is true that, you know, there's, there's no reason why we can't coexist, you know, not, not, <laughs> you know, you know, Together, you know, as as people who are who are nationalists, you know, I, there's this this kind of funny war that goes on on Twitter between the Christians and the pagans. Yeah, I get tired of it. Get it all the time, but I really don't think that there's any reason why um, we we shouldn't be able to respect each other's beliefs as long as we're living traditional, wholesome lives. You know, that are family oriented. Um, yeah, I think there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to respect other people's. Uh, slightly differing spiritual practices. Yeah, it's coexist minus uh, thinking of that bumper sticker minus a few of the symbols in there in particular. <laughs> then, then, then those yeah. can exist just right. So any any input or you know on going forward the best course of action for uh, nationalists in general and also in terms of dealing with insane leftists and censorship? I know it's a huge question, but any input? Um, so I think personally, I am a little bit blackpilled about the future of being able to use social media as we are today. I think that eventually my channel will be shut down. Um, I think we'll all, we'll all probably be shut down eventually. And I think, you know, for the time being, we should use our social media, you know, with um, intention to try and bring as many people over to our way of thinking about things as possible. Um, but I think it's time that we, um, you know, have a little bit of a reality check and we start to maybe go underground, you know, or like, and I'm not talking about like discord servers. I'm, I mean, going out into your community and organizing, um, politically with your neighbors and with the people who, um, you know, share your views in your community. I guarantee there's going to be more people than you thought. Uh, once you get out there on the ground and start actually talking to people, a lot of the people who. I've encountered in the real world, you know, that feel the same way as me. They don't even use social media. So I think it's, you know, we, we as creators and, um, you know, over the past few years, we, we have made great gains with social media. Um, and that's not to be understated, but, you know, we, we were able to organize political movements, um, you know, in the real world long social media came here and it might mean that we need to stop putting ourselves out there and um you know putting targets on our backs so that you know leftists can smear us and and you know get our people into government um and to organize um you know not be like putting up posters and advertising we're having these conventions so that leftists can come and shut us down to just circulate this information among our own private networks um and educate and you know um motivate communities to um you know fight back
Absolutely. I think that's very important. I think also a lot of the you younger kids out there start getting on city councils, start running on those levels. We have to take over our towns again. We need to take those back. As boring as it is thinking of being on the city council, it's important. We need our people to be on those positions to get in there, to hear what's happening, and to fight back. I absolutely agree with that. We have to do something and we have to be yes. out there and be active and try and engage with the people and try and get something going. And it is true. Not everyone is on social media. I talk to a lot of younger girls who are, you know, 20, 21, they don't even go on YouTube. They don't watch any political videos. They're not even into the news. You know, so we have to find other creative ways where these people are and, and try and reach them. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, tell us about your YouTube channel and what you have going on next and your videos and all that good stuff. Um, so uh, right now I'm working on a series called Girl Talk where um, I have, I don't want to say interview because I try and keep it casual and I like to talk about, you know, people's personal lives and what they're currently doing, um, you know, in their homes and in their families with right wing women. Uh, this isn't something that I've seen done, but I think that there is a strong desire among right wing women to um, be able to have, you know, a little series where they can they can see that there is a movement of right wing women. You know, women are they're kind of herd animals, you know. And I think if you're a woman out there and you have these ideas and you don't believe that there is a group that represents um, what your what your beliefs are, it, it can feel very alienating and you kind of stifle your voice. But if you can see that there are tons of women out there that want to prioritize family, you know, that that like you said are highly intelligent, highly motivated women of uh, great moral integrity out there, maybe women would start to become a little bit more brave and to push back against the sort of feminist hive mind. So that's that's the main thing that I'm working on in terms of um, my online work. And But I would also like to start doing videos that are a little bit less political. I mean, there'll always be some of that on my channel because it interests me. But I would like to start doing things which are more oriented around, um, you know, family life and, you know, you know, talking about femininity and style and modesty and spirituality and that kind of stuff. That's good. We always need more of those videos. I know there's a few out there. I know, I, you know, and it's interesting. People do want to hear that even guys because <laughs> the interviews that I do with women are always end up being the most popular. It is really interesting. I think also some enemies like to watch that and find out what's going on. And, and, and then they just look like idiots when they're attacking women who are talking about, you know, doing things at home and growing a garden. I mean, Blonde Buttermaker, she does videos for us and she gets, she gets attacked. She literally doesn't talk about any politics in there, but it's like this white supremacist who has this garden and she's feeding her kids from scratch oh the horror you know it's just, it makes them look bad it's sad now i can't let you go without asking you this one thing though i forgot jordan peterson real quick i know you were you were a big fan and then yeah. you changed your mind on that so where do you think he's going uh where do you think he's going well, to end up if, if you look at his numbers, there is a drop in his popularity um, in terms of the, the trends and the numbers. I think he's kind of um, he's kind of uh, ruined any opportunity that he has had for any real lasting impact on uh, culture and society. I think there was potential there in the beginning, but he he gave up what potential he had so that he could sell rugs on Twitter for $2,000 a pop. And, you know, it's hard to respect a person who, um, you know, I think he really could have, he could have motivated the, uh, the straight white male, you know, of Western countries to um, look after themselves, to, to carry their burden with honor, um, to, um, 
want want to make the world better for generations to come. He, that was the sentiment that he he woke up in me, and I'll always be grateful to him for that. But he has, on numerous occasions, um, walked back those those sorts of um, those sorts of talking points and influences that he he originally sort of rose as a result of. He's walking a fine line to get the New York Times spreads. That's when I got really skeptical to not only his involvement with the UN there, but he did this big photo shoot. I think it was New York Times, yeah. and they were praising him of what this amazing intellectual he is. And look at this photo shoot here and stuff. I was like, uh oh, this isn't good. He is li he literally has some PR agents promoting him, changing his look, his clothes, and then he got the goatee. And he, I mean, he's being packaged in a way, and so he's walking a fine line now. Exactly. It's kind of a litmus test. You know, it's 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 sad to say, but if you're endorsed by the mainstream media, you can kind of be certain that this person is that, you know, they're going to be controlled in a way. Their integrity has been compromised. So you think he's just going to drop off? What's going to where do you think, think he'll be 10 years he, from now? I think he will be a mediocre self-help person who will eventually fade into um, irrelevancy um, with, you know, a very strong but small cohort of um, fans, you know, that are just going to be obsessive to the end. Because there's a lot of people, think, I mean, they still kind of see him like as a prophet and stuff. Yeah, which I know. So cringy, but he does help people. So I, don't, I, I always try and catch myself with, you know, tearing him down too much because I don't know where I would be if I hadn't found him and if I hadn't used the self-authoring program to kind of get my life in order. Um, well, there has to I be have, a, has to be a little bit of truth in there to make it work to have people respond to it. So, of yes, course, but just just enough uh -huh. to get to sell the rugs, but not enough to actually challenge anything. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and, and the, what I find is really cowardly with him, and this is one area maybe where he could become more popular and have the numbers rise again. He could debate people who want to talk about white identity politics and uh, about nationalism and censorship, but he just won't go there. So obviously, I don't know if it's whoever's managing him or something, they say don't go there. But that is one place I think then his numbers could go up again. Agreed. And it absolutely is his agency, in my opinion. These are the same people who represented um, Owen Benjamin, and they they canceled their contract with him because he spoke out against um, children transitioning before the age of seven. Uh, so these are the people who represent uh, Jordan Peterson right now, you know. So th these are these are people with a heavy liberal bias. Um, they they're, they're they're not going to let him speak to people like for like Faith Goldie, for example, where, you know, if he's really a, a free speech absolutist, he should be debating everyone equally. That's just it. That is you know? just it. I know. It's it's cowardly. I hope that I hope that moving forward in the next few years that that goes bye bye, even in the uh, kind of this liberty, patriot, alt light, if you will, uh, crowd, that there some bridges and some good debates and things happen. I'm not going to hold my breath because I think maybe there might be too much truth that comes out in those things. And there's some people that don't want to go down that route. But do you think that's ever going to happen? The kind of like the uh, Ben Shapiro's and the Jordan Peterson's debating people like uh, Jared Taylor or Kevin McDonald, for instance. Do you think anything like this? I don't think you'll see it. And only because um, they're so afraid of the ideas and they don't actually have legitimate counter arguments um, to the arguments that these people make 
And so in order to um, give the, if they were going to give them a platform, it would be kind of like, you know, taking a dagger and stabbing it in their own back. They would yeah. be, they'd be ruining any opportunity for them to keep subverting people's um, opinions away from this knowledge. Yeah, that's true. Well, Cece, thank you so much. It's been a blast getting to know you and I'll definitely keep an eye on you and we'll have to have you back for more in the future. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, we'll see you. I am very pleased to see more and more young ladies discussing these most important topics and out in the open. It's a huge step in the right direction to begin to correct the disaster we're currently living in. And I think it's going to get a whole lot crazier, but it will be okay because people need to experience the full-on clown world before they get sick and tired of the bread and circus. But it will happen. It's inevitable. People get sick of the cotton candy and spinning rides. Thank you, Red Eyes members, and to everyone who supports us through donations as well as spiritual backing. We love you all. Thank you so much. Lots more coming up. been asking and is finally back in stock, Red Ice merch is available in a variety of colors, prints, long sleeve and short sleeve for men, women, and children, including the Anglo-Saxon boar, Norse solar boat, they have to go back, Red Ice Eclipse, and something special for the little berserker or shield maiden in your family. All items were made with 100% organic cotton sewn in the USA. Organic cotton means cotton grown without the use of toxic pesticides and fertilizers. So add something new and comfy to your closet while also supporting Red Ice. Head over to redice.tv forward slash store or lanaslama.com and click on the Red Ice banner. We appreciate all your support. <laughs>